Hey everyone, welcome to Locked On Lakers for Thursday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. The Lakers are considered the front runners for Atlanta point guard DeJounte Murray. But what kind of player would be, they be getting if they made that deal? We have a scouting report of Murray next. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Lockdown Lakers first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcasts. It's always free. It's never behind a paywall. And Lockdown Lakers on YouTube is where you can go hang out with over 22,000 subscribers, all of whom are wondering whether or not the Lakers would be better off with DeJounte Murray, uh, really the, the biggest remaining name in the trade market now that Pascal Siakam is in Indiana. Um, and so uh, lots of questions about how Murray would fit. Um, what that might look like, um, the trade, D'Angelo Russell, presumably, uh, whether he stays in Atlanta or not, probably a pick and some form combination of Max Christie, Jalen Hood, Shafino, or whatever else um, the Hawks might want that isn't Austin Reeves. Andy, that's the basic deal. So uh, we'll break all that down in a second. First, I want to let people know that today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code all lowercase uh, LockedOnNBA for first a first deposit match up to $100. Um, so to get everybody up to speed on DeJounte Murray, because most people with uh, meaningful and rich lives do not spend their time watching Hawks basketball. Andy, you spoke with Brad Rowland, uh, host of Locked on Hawks, uh, who has had an, a front row view of, of DeJounte for the last year plus. And Brad Rowland, the host of Locked on Hawks, joining us right now. The Lakers have been heavily connected to DeJounte Murray. For the time being, it's very much a D-low for Murray hypothetical. So a lot of what I'm going to be asking is about Murray, but also some specific questions of how he either would, would not replicate D-low while replacing him. So beginning with the offense, how would you describe, and by the way, Murray offensively having a terrific season, averaging about 21 points a game, 47% from the field, 39% from behind the arc. Uh, career highs in effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, and two-point percentage. How would you describe his style and strengths as a scorer? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that he is certainly more comfortable with the ball in his hands than without it. Um, and that's maybe what gets into uh, – This is, I know this is not a Hawks show, so the fit stuff in Atlanta, um, the pro one of the problems there was that Murray – while he's been willing, and as you mentioned, he's actually taken great strides as a shooter, um, he's still more comfortable. It's very obvious that he is just in his bag when he has the ball in his hands. Well, so, this matters, by the way. Yeah. Just not to interrupt you, but sure. you, you may have heard LeBron sometimes has the ball in his hands as well. So <laughs> He does. I will say LeBron has the ball in his hands less than Trey Young does at this point. So well, I think the whole league bit, does. Yeah, there's a little bit more uh, uh, cohesion there. But no, I think that Murray likes to – he likes to prod. He likes to – he's a pretty good ball handler. He's not a – for a point guard, he is an adequate passer. He's not a great one by any means. Like he's he's willing, he can make the simple reads, but not going to create a ton compared to a lot of other point guards. Um, he's very comfortable in the mid range too, which is a good and bad thing. Like he's one of the rare guys that's good enough at taking mid rangers and creating them, where it's actually not going to kill you. But he really likes that shot. 
Um, the Hawks have tried to push him out further to three-point line, and he's kind of been willing to do that. But I think that overall, he is a scorer first and foremost, and I think he he knows that. He kind of identifies that way, and it, it kind of requires him at least a lot a lot of the time to have the ball in his hands to be probing. Um, is he a good downhill threat? He can get there. Um, I think that what he doesn't do a ton of is get all the way to the rim and finish. Okay. He's actually a pretty he's a pretty low free throw guy too for someone who has the ball in his hands as much as he's had. Even getting back to San Antonio, he, he likes to get to that. Like what I always try to say is like he's better when he gets to that like eight foot range. Like he has this little push shot that's actually very effective. And he's better at getting to that than when he's kind of quote unquote settles for like the 12, 14, 15, 16 footer. But uh, he he can get the, he can get, he can get all the way downhill. It's just that not, it's not really what he does a lot of. And I think for whatever reason, you know, he is pretty skinny. He gets knocked off the spot sometimes. Um, so like not the most crafty. It's also probably more stark because he plays he plays with Trey Young, who's so good at getting to the free throw line. But Dejounte doesn't really do that. He's not like a super physical driver. But he'll 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 he'll, he'll beat a guy. He'll get there if it's sort of available to him. But he's still more comfortable kind of pulling up. Um, talking about the outside shooting this year, again, he's putting up career best numbers from three, 39%. And it's on legit volume, about yeah. six a game, like five or 6% better than any other season where he's taken a reasonable amount of threes. Is he most successful as a catch and shoot guy or creating the three off the bounce? How, how does he usually look to get him? Yeah, he's kind of done more of both this year, honestly. Like Quinn Snyder came into Atlanta really kind of pushed the whole team and, the, and by extension Murray who was maybe the number one candidate for this to kind of push things to the three-point line uh, let it fly more often for instance and I think he's been actually good at buying in as a catch-and-shoot guy that was not a natural thing for him um, especially dating back to San Antonio where we had the ball all the time but he has done that he's he's done it he's made shots he's also taken more of the dri- off the dribble shots from 22 feet instead of 19 feet if that makes sense which is right. effective I'm not entirely sure that I buy him as a true talent 39% three-point shooter. Uh, it is a small sample size. He's never really done this before, like you said. But I think there is legitimate progression in his perimeter shooting. I do think that he is an improved shooter. The mechanics are pretty solid. But I think that um, he still likes the, the pull-up a little bit more. But I think especially on a good team and w- w- sort of w- with LeBron around him to spray the ball to him, I think that he w- he has been willing and has been really kind of effective at catch-and-shoot stuff this year too. Well, I mean, you may not have heard, but uh, the Crypt, formerly Staples Center, is where three-point shooters who put on the Laker uniform go to die. Um, <laughs> for for whatever reason, uh, there's been a lot of shooters who have struggled playing for the Lakers. When you said before, though, that you're not sure that you buy into it in terms of sustainability, is that just because it's a small sample size or anything else specific to it? Yeah, I think it's mostly sample. Like I know you mentioned it before, but he's been more of a you know low to mid thirties guy. Yeah, I just I I'm someone who just I'm te- I'm going to tend to believe the larger sample in general. I do think that um, it's been more of a priority for him, which I think makes it maybe me believe it more if that makes sense. Like the volume has gone up. Um, that is intentional, both team and player. And I think that um, like you know using his three or four year numbers against him right now, which I've seen people do like his career numbers are not good from three. And I no. get that, but he's like, he's not, he's not the same guy anymore. So I think last year is a more reasonable baseline, like, you know, 34, 35% um, compared to this year. I think it's maybe somewhere in the middle. If I had to guess like what it would be big picture, like, you know, 36, 37 kind of thing. Um, maybe he is 39. Maybe, maybe this is hundred percent real. I, I just tend to not believe this kind of sample size yet, even if he is taking a lot more of them this year. What's his consistency like as a scorer? 
I think he's pretty consistent, honestly. I, I mean, a lot of it waxes and wanes potentially on like if he's not hitting his mid ranger, it can get a little bit dicey. Like they'll if he looks bad on a night, it will look bad. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, part of that's just the way that he approaches it. Like he's not taking the easiest shots, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much. But even this year, when he is obviously taking huge strides, he's still below the league average in true shooting. Like he's just not a guy who has been incredibly efficient in his career. I think a lot of that again is like is kind of his shot profile. And while it has gotten better, more threes, et cetera, you know, it's it's just kind of hard unless you're Kevin Durant or you know, an all-time shooter to carry super efficient metrics when you are taking as many mid-rangers as he takes. And, right. and, and also something to be said for that too. Like the counter argument is like uh, you know, the Hooper versus basketball player argument of all time. Like <laughs> he could get to his shot. And that's actually a huge positive late in the shot clock, late in games. He had a couple of game winners last week when, we, when when people went crazy. He can get to his shot, which is a positive. But as far as his efficiency is concerned, there's always been a little bit that left to be desired. How good is he at running pick and roll? He's a good operator for sure. Um, I, I think, again, not to keep saying it, but he is more of a scoring mentality when he gets around pick and roll. But he knows what to do. He'll set a guy, he'll set a guy up. Uh, I think I'm probably a little bit jaded because Trey Young is so good at it that it looks right. like Murray is worse, if that makes sense. like sure. He's actually not. You know, I think DeJounte is actually a very, very capable pick and roll operator. And even as a passer, like I think people got a little bit tricked by that last year in San Antonio when he averaged like nine assists a game. And it's because his usage was absolutely through the roof. Like I think that his real, like, you know, he's a five, six assist guy. And that's that's fine. He's not a bad passer. It's just that he's more of that middle of the road guy. But yeah, he, he he'll set he'll set a guy up. He'll uh, he'll find the roller both on the pocket pass. He's a, not a great lob thrower, but an okay one. Like he, he knows how to operate. I think with for instance, with AD, I think you'd be able to fully operate. And I'm just throwing it out there. I'm sure that's part of the calculus here. He could I, I, that would look good, I think. In, in a lot well, of that, okay, that's that's exactly Brad where I was going because specifically with D'Lo, he runs a really good pick and roll with Anthony Davis. Often very good at finding AD with those pocket passes. And I think on this, I don't even have to think it. You can look up the metrics for who passes to who and the frequency. D'Lo looks for AD more often than anybody on this team. So the the notion that Murray could replicate some of that specific synergy stylistically with AD, that is, that's a big deal and that's a positive. I do think that, you know, I'm not watching every Lakers game, so I'll raise my hand on that. I do think that Russell is a better natural passer than Murray is in general. Like, you know, dating back, this is obviously a long time ago now, but when, when Russell's a prospect, he was almost seen as like the super pass first guy that was like so creative. And he's, he's just got better instincts as a passer, I think, than Murray does. But Murray will make the simple play is what I would say. No, D-Lo's, a, D-Lo's a very, very good passer. All right, coming up next, the defender, uh, the area where he may have a lot more on his plate if he ends up becoming a Laker. That is coming up next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by Grammarly, and I've been paid to write in various capacities, various mediums for about 25 years, and I love to write. But writing can still be very challenging. There are still brain locks even after all this time, and that makes Grammarly so valuable. Grammarly supports you from start to finish. For over 10 years, Grammarly has been powered by trustable, AI technology to help you all across the places where you write the most. And with one click, Grammarly can help you brainstorm, rewrite, and reply so you can improve productivity for you and your teams. Your teams at work, by the way, not your sports teams. Grammarly, unfortunately, can't fix them. And I've really appreciated, in particular, Grammarly's suggestions for phrasing, just like subtle tweaks that can make a huge difference on the page. It'll jump out at you. And 
It's also really useful for managing your time. Grammarly can help you summarize your emails and provide suggestions to reply in just seconds. And if you have, say, a big presentation coming up, Grammarly can create a personalized outline to get you organized so you can transform your ideas into a really compelling presentation. Here's the best part, free to use. So start being more productive at work. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download for free today. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y.com slash podcast. Locked on Lakers also brought to you by Prize Picks. What is Prize Picks? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's the largest daily fantasy sports that's a DFS platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS, just you versus the numbers. So instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more or less, uh, more or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you basically just kind of watch the money roll in from there. So here's how it works. Let's say you want to do just basketball. You can do just basketball. We can also have more fun with this stuff by maybe making combo projections across football while football is still happening in basketball with the specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey playing in the uh, AFC championship game at a 10 and a half combo of three pointers made and receptions. Simple to play, make your picks, you submit your daily entry in less than 60 seconds. And this is important, quick withdrawals. So easy gameplay, enormous selection of players, stat types. Um, these are all the things that makes prize picks uh, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Here's how you play. You go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA. Use that code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. What have you seen from Murray defensively? It's really interesting. I think that um, his reputation was such like I think he made all an all defense team early in his career, and he kind of made his bones in San Antonio as a late first round pick as a defender when he first when he first broke in. I think that reputation stuck around a little bit too long, if that makes sense. Um, sure. Even you know post trade, I was doing some digging with folks in San Antonio and watching some film too, but just asking around there, and they were kind of like, "Hey, his defense is not what it used to be," kind of thing. Which look, most guys when they up their usage to the sky. They're not going to be the same defensively. That's a very normal thing. Um, I think the Hawks, though, were expecting a little bit more from him uh, when they made the trade than when he's actually delivered for them. I think the optimistic take would be that um, if he is the smallest guy on the court, if he's if he's the point guard on offense, um, he'd be better suited in that role because his best attribute defensively is his hands and his playmaking. He's always been really good at getting steals. He isn't a great screen navigator, but he can do it when he's dialed in. Um, what I think he, that he's been shortcoming at in Atlanta is that he's not good against bigger guys. He's not a he's not physical. Like he's big for a point guard. He's lanky for a point guard, but he's thin. He's not super strong. So I think that he can, and I think probably would be better other places than he's been in Atlanta. I don't think he's a very good defender, though, to be honest with you. And I think his reputation is kind of outsized from what it used to be. What is Murray like as a point of attack defender? Because that's that is an area where the Lakers particularly in the lineups that Darvin has been starting and, and some of the ones he's been implementing, they've been lacking. It's honestly the, the biggest question I have about DeJounte still after watching him for a year and a half. Uh, because if you watch him in the right context, in the right quarter, in the right half, he looks good. You know what I mean? He's He's got the tools. Um, he, know, he knows what to do defensively. And I'm not saying it's effort-based, but it's like when he's not engaged, it can look bad. 
And I think that a lot of that's the, maybe the team context. Like the Hawks have been really bad defensively, independent of Murray, with Murray, Trey, Wings. They have all kinds of issues defensively. And I think the Lakers are so much better infrastructure-wise defensively that um, my optimistic take would be that he would he would be able to buy in. You know what I mean? Like I think okay. that it would work better in, uh, in L.A. Um, but it's it, what I would say is it waxes and wanes with Murray's point of that defense. And I think that's honestly been the number one issue for Atlanta for a long time. And that was like, hope they were like hoping Murray was going to be the savior in that aspect. And he has definitely not been the savior in that aspect. But I think that it, it, it really might just be a situational thing. I think that would be the hope because honestly, it hasn't been that good. He has been better when he's given a primary assignment. Like I think when he, he gets up for certain matchups, like if he's, the, if he's the guy against, I don't know, Donovan Mitchell or something, you know, one of those high impact famous guards, he's usually right. better on the ball in those matchups. Okay. He has not been good off the ball, which you might ask me. He's he, he's been really kind of inattentive at times off the ball, and again, that probably goes more to the situation, like you point out there in Atlanta. But I, you know, I try I'm trying not to be too cynical about it because I just watch it. I watch every play, and it's like it, it can be frustrating his defense. It has been, sure. but I do think that he's capable. And when he gets up for it, when he engages at the point of attack, it is better than it, when he's coming okay. Well, that leads to the next question I wanted to ask. Like, let's just. For the sake of this question, assume that Murray is more re-energized, re-motivated defensively with the Lakers. Could you picture a scenario where he can actually help elevate a defense or other players around him? Because the reality is he's going to be teamed with Austin Reeves in the backcourt, who gets targeted a lot. You have to offset LeBron at this stage of his career and the way he paces himself defensively. And Torian Prince, if he stays in the starting lineup, um, moving forward. An old friend of, an old friend of mine. Yeah, Tory yeah. He, I mean, he can be fine in certain matchups, so it becomes more incumbent on Murray to be able to handle the stuff that Prince can't and other guys can't. So can you picture him elevating a defense if he's really dialed in? I can picture that, but I will say that that description wor would worry me a little bit because it's kind of, it's not as bad as Atlanta's context because you still have AD, there's still other guys around him, but like what he hasn't been able to do is kind of be the guy that raises it in Atlanta. Like that was kind of what they thought he was going to be, to be honest with you, between some other questionable pieces. And it hasn't happened. I mean, there is the power of LeBron and like the buy-in that sometimes guys get okay. and all that stuff. But yeah. Let me turn my own question on its head then. You put DeJounte Murray in the Lakers' best defensive lineups, which would include like if you're, you know, in the last three or four minutes of a game looking to protect a lead, you've got AD in there. LeBron at that point will be engaged right. jared vanderbilt's in there and you find the fifth defender for whatever matchup can you picture murray then being a part of something that really works in that setting yeah i do i can i i do think that that would be look and we haven't seen it for two years actually we haven't seen it longer than that because in san antonio they were bad at the end when right. the guy so like there is a lot of uncertainty here i think everybody kind of knows that like he, he just not he has not been a part of a good defense since he was like a third year player like it's been a long time but i do i do buy into the notion of what you just described where like if he's not necessarily the weak link but if he's not like one of three weak points i think i right. would probably buy it more because especially if he's, if he's the smallest guy on the court i don't want to overset uh, say that too much but i think his skill set plays up when he is able to kind of just go be a habit creator and like be able to, to kind of you know jump passing lanes and go for strips, stuff like that, rather than having to be solid. I don't love him as, as a guy who has to be solid. I think he is okay. much more of a playmaker defensively. But within that context, I think it would probably work. So he can be pretty disruptive then defensively. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's always been a super high steel guy. Like, 
it's kind of funny. I, I saw the stat the other day. He, I think he's drawn like one charge in his career. Like he just does not draw charges. It's, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> but, That's crazy. Uh, it's very funny. Um, anyway, but he's always been a super high steel guy. And, you know, steals can be misleading. You know, Russell Westbrook, old friend of yours, always a high steel guy, not always a right. great defender. Like there are guys like that. Um, but I think that Murray prides himself as being a disruptor defensively. You know, whether that's actually, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Whether it's actually practical or not, I'm not sure. But he can get in passing lanes, and he, and he has great hands. He really does. He has great hands, and uh, that does help for sure. What's he What's he like, But before I get to the last couple of questions, what's he like in terms of if he gets a steal, turning that into transition offense? How, how does he do in terms of – either running that or just setting it up to become something. He'll push base for sure. Like, I think he's uh, looking for those pick sixes a lot. Like he, he's, he's definitely opportunistic in that way. He'll sometimes get up, um, go over the top on it, and, like get out of position going for it, which is okay. As long as you get enough of them, uh, you're playing the math there. He's not a great passer in transition, but like okay. he'll, he'll go to the front of the rim, which I think is the best thing that you can do as a guard there is just when you get the ball, push down the floor, go to the front of the rim, he'll be able to make the simple plays. So like, he's not like, the best transition player in the league as far as guards are concerned, but he's a guy who you don't have to worry about. Like if, if he gets out okay. there in a three-on-one, he'll execute it. If you're Rob Palenka, do you pull the trigger on this? I do think it does make some sense for the Lakers, to be honest. Like I, I don't love Murray everywhere. There are teams like, the, like for, for instance, the Knicks. I, I, I don't see that as an option that I would love if I was the Knicks. But I think the combination of him being able to play point guard and kind of be on the ball, but not be the only number one option. I think the uh, – Murray could be a floor raiser somewhere else. Like he, he, could go to, he could go to a bad team and score 20, 25 points a game, and like he could do that. I think LA is kind of a good balance of he's the number one on the on the perimeter, but LeBron's there and AD's there. He's not having to carry that workload. And defensively, I think he buys in. So the price is not crazy. I think it also almost helps the Lakers that they, they can just look at the Hawks and be like, we can't offer anything else. We have one pick to offer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Sure the Hawks are the Hawks are probably gonna ask for Reeves. I'm sure they have already. They're gonna want Huchafino, they're gonna want Chris, whatever it's gonna be. It does help the Lakers that they the Hawks can't be like, no, our price is two picks. And the Lakers are like, we don't have two picks. So right. what would you like? So yeah, I think at the end of the day, if that was the price that's been reported and you get off, you get off D I would do it as the Lakers. I don't I don't think it's like an A plus plus move, but if it was like a yes or no, I would say yes. He is Brad Rowland. He covers the Hawks Monday through Friday, locked on Hawks, part of the network. Uh, appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you. Happy to do it anytime. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by Hunger Root, the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality food delivered to your door. They've got healthy groceries, simple recipes, all in one place. And as someone who has enjoyed a Hunger Root shipment, let me tell you, you are in for some awesome eating. Just take a fun, short quiz so Hunger Root can help get to know you, how you like to eat, your favorite flavors, the stuff you use to cook, all that great, great information. They'll keep your preferences top of mind and start building your cart with awesome recipes and your grocery needs for the week. Hunger Root has fresh produce, high quality meat and seafood, pantry staples, healthy snacks, sweets, and more. Some of my favorites include the lemon pepper half chicken, the cucumber corn black bean salad. It was really versatile. It's great on its own, but you can also mix it into other salads. I've done both. I enjoyed them quite a lot. Hunger Root follows a simple standard. It's got to taste good and be quick to make and contain whole trusted ingredients. So right now, Hunger Root is offering Locked On NBA channel listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. So hungerroot.com slash locked on and get 40% off your first delivery and to get your free veggies. That's hungerroot.com slash locked on. And don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you.
Okay, so that was great stuff from Brad Rowland, host of Locked on Hawks. Um, after finishing that conversation, come out on DeJounte Murray vis-a-vis the trade deadline in the Lakers. First of all, that offensively, in a lot of ways, he sounds like D'Angelo Russell. That's kind of um, right. <laughs> like not not exactly the same because D'Lo is more of a proven outside shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds to me like even though D'Lo can be good in the in the mid-range, that's really Murray's bread and butter. And in some ways, the thing that can dis- distinguish him from a lot of different players, you know, D'Lo might finish a bit more than Murray, but D'Lo is not like a classic finisher, even though I think he can be good around the rim. Um, you trade off some passing, like pure passing, I think, if you bring in Murray. But DeJounte Murray is a better defender than D'Angelo Russell, period. Like he just is. But the question of whether or not the Lakers should trade for DeJounte Murray, I think is a different question than how much that will impact the Lakers this season. If it's just a D-Lo for Murray swap, essentially. I, I agree with you. Um, I left that scouting report less enthused than I was about Murray before. And I was sort of Murray skeptical, mostly because um, the reports are pretty relentless. Not that he's a bad defender, but that he's not a difference maker like he was early in his career with San Antonio. And I do think he would be better with the Lakers. You you get traded, that stuff kind of comes back. You're in like, look, James Harden is playing ball in uh in, in with the, with the Clippers and doing it's like you know yeah, you're always on Westbrook's been engaged defensively with the Clippers. no question. You are always on your best behavior. A when um you've you've been moved for something like this and theoretically go to a better situation, certainly a higher profile situation and one where you at least have a chance to to win something. But if he's not a lot better than Russell. I don't know if the trade-offs necessarily get you anywhere because the Lakers don't have a lot of point guarding outside of LeBron when you take away um, when you take away Russell. And look, Reeves can do that stuff. Obviously, Dejounte Murray is a is a point guard, but different kinds. Like Russell is like the the purest point on the team. Like that's what he does. And, you know, the the extra 15% that he might be better on the pick and roll and timing those things out and building, like, that makes a difference. Although, I mean, um, Murray, according to Brad, is pretty good at those pick and roll pocket passes. And that's something where D'Lo in particular has really thrived with AD. And I but he said also, too, he's not as good. But, you know, know. He's, not, he's not as good, but the fact that he can do it reasonably well, like, I... Mm-hmm. I like I said, while I was talking with Brad, a lot of my questions were really framed to try to figure out what the differences would be between him and uh, D'Lo, positively and negatively. The, the thing that did jump out at me, though, in terms of a potential positive, like a big positive, and it is a gamble of sorts, like that requires a leap of faith, but where Brad agreed that a re-energized, re-motivated defensively, DeJounte Murray could potentially be part of your best closing unit defensively. Mm -hmm. That did jump out at me. Like he had skepticism that Murray could necessarily raise the floor or even raise the ceiling of the starting group. Like if he swapped in for D'Lo defensively, like the idea that he could play a role in covering for 
Reeves, for LeBron, and in certain respects for Prince. He was skeptical about that. But if you put him in with AD and Vando and LeBron at the end of games where you know he is going to be focused if it's tight, and then pick your fifth defender, that Murray actually could be pretty, pretty useful there. That I thought was interesting just because with D'Lo, that's not the case. Sure. I mean, D'Lo is what he is. Like he is, and again, there's no question to me that Murray is a better defender. I, You said something that, you know, I know we touched on it, or, you know, Wednesday and earlier in the week. Like, what are you trying to do here? Are you trying to resurrect this season or are you trying to build something that makes some sense moving forward where you look at Murray as a better pure third piece or something or a 3A and a 3B with um, with Austin Reeves in ways that you don't look at Russell, where you just don't see him as somebody that you're going to want to have beyond this season um, or, you know, certainly I guess beyond next would be the longest, you know, that he could be under contract. Um, and to that respect, okay, I get it. Like you're making a trade to kind of build some continuity into next year. You'd now have most of the core of the roster signed up for multiple seasons except for LeBron. Um, but the other part about it that makes it tricky is, you know, the Lakers can trade one pick now. They can trade three picks this summer. If you trade for DeJounte Murray, obviously you're down a pick. You now have Murray, but do you know you can move him over the summer? Like, you can only do these things once. And you have to be comfortable with Murray, I think, more as a forward-looking option than something that's going to fix you for this year. I would rather them, if the, if the goal of everything that they want to do is just this season, I would rather them tinker around the margins and not commit too much. And you know, because you could probably trade for DeJounte Murray again this summer if he hasn't gone anywhere in between now and then. And maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. Well, I mean, that's the risk, though. you know. And then you have to start really thinking ahead to who actually might be available this offseason, who could potentially be gettable. And you know, if, if the Lakers aren't seen as a team with a lot of desirable contracts to move at the deadline, they're probably not going to be seen as a team with a lot of desirable contracts to move this offseason. So, no, but, but they have more picks. They, they, have, they do. They have more picks, but you still... I think you still run the same basic risks of if you're really looking to big game hunt, just getting outbid and, and not There's having the same arsenal of picks. They have limited options. And so it goes back to that question. Do you like DeJounte Murray because he's available, because the best player available, or do you like him because he's somebody that you would like independent of that? Like in a, in a vacuum, you would say, you know what? For the appropriate assets, we're making a list of players that we think would be a great fit in LA, and we'd put DeJounte Murray in that to fill that, you know, really solid number three on a team role. Like if that's what they're thinking about, okay. Um, I just I, I, I they are a little bit caught in between. And while last year, you know, a deadline deal last year almost had no other prospect but working out relative to what they were doing because the, the the atmosphere at that point was just that bad this year it's a little different yeah. i think there's you know you you had to move westbrook yeah almost anything they could do and they did great but there's been a lot of bad vibes this year as well you're right and so but can you fix the bad vibes in the same like way 
or are you better off waiting for the stability of the offseason? And, you know, it is easier to improve your team holistically, make moves that work with each other and all that kind of stuff in the offseason than it is during the regular season, especially when you're working with limited assets. I am not, I wasn't jazzed by this concept of a trade going in. I don't hate it, but it's like, it doesn't excite me. And it does, it excites me a little bit less after this conversation. I mean, if there was a way somehow to add DeJounte Murray to the core players that they have, yep. like if there's a if there's a way to somehow turn, say, Gabe Vincent and probably Torian Prince to make the math work and like name everything else. Like if you if you want to go in for all if you want to go yeah, all it would be in, a right, it would be a pick and the two young guys. That's all they got. Right. If you want to go all in for this season as effectively as possible with DeJounte Murray, that's actually the way you would, in a perfect world, try to do it. Right. I'm not sure the world will be perfect enough to allow that. Zero percent chance Atlanta does that deal. Right. Zero. But, because you can get more. If they, even if they can't trade him in the deadline, they could get more for that, more for him in the offseason. But yes, my that was kind of my reaction. I was like, God, it'd be great if they could sign him as a free agent, but they can't. So... um like a three-headed guard rotation of Reeves, Murray, and Russell would be great. I'd, I'm really into good. that. That's really good. Would you not do this? Because it sounds like you wouldn't. I think I'd probably hold on to the pick. I just don't think it makes him better enough for this year to sacrifice the potential flexibility into the offseason. I don't think I would. I don't think it hurts him if they do it. Um, but it it has sort of a long-term ripple effect. You know, you know, they they should know more about Murray than I do, um, and they might if they really like him as a player. Okay, fine. If they see him as part of this core and have a plan to go out and get that player that slots in between him and Davis for the future, and you have presumably one more year because I think LeBron will be back next year um, to get it done. But eh, it, it doesn't excite me. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not exciting because it doesn't feel like, for example the type of impact that you knew immediately the Lakers would have when they brought in Pau Gasol. Like you knew immediately this team is this going to be great. Yeah, so you're that. right. Even if it is a trade that you can that you can get behind and support, there is a certain lack of zazz to it in terms yes, of but the, the, in the, terms of this season. And the biggest difference between this season and the season you described with Pau is that team that Pau joined was already in first place. Yep. People forget that. Um, yep. Bynum got hurt. They were already the top team in the Western Conference. Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go hang out with over 22,000 subscribers. We'll be back, of course, after tonight's game against the Bulls to break it all down. We'll see everybody tomorrow.